Well, good to see all of you. How did you, you made it through the weekend, all the, the storm? It's a beautiful day out there right now, right? Uh, something crazy happened, though, this morning. I got up early, I was coming to church, and uh, I went to my car, and my door didn't open. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, I know it's early and it's dark. I'm looking at my keys and like, what is going on? It was frozen. All right, my car was frozen. The door was like, and finally, you know, it wasn't like covered nice. I was able to open it. But then I'm looking at the windshield and the windshield is like thick of ice. I'm like, I don't have an ice scraper. So I'm like, oh, I have a credit card, you know, <laughs> like, trying to scrape that off. So um, haven't experienced that in quite some time. So that was, that was interesting. But looks like uh, most of it's passed and going on to the other parts of the country. We pray for them. But uh, we thank the Lord for the rain and the snow, for sure. Uh, anyway, as I begin this morning, I want to um, kind of bring up an awkward situation that I know most of you have experienced, probably all of you have experienced. As when you go to lunch or dinner with someone and then the check comes, right? What do you do? All right? Who pays, you know? Or maybe even standing in line at Chipotle, you know, it's that kind of like, uh, do I just pay or do I wait for them? Like, you know, it's that little dance that you do. When you're young, I remember like you're a young adult, you, it's so new to you. You have no concept because up till this point in your life, mom and dad paid for everything. Right, you never had to do this. But I remember when I was a, a young adult, I'm like new in ministry, and I had my very first like um, professional lunch meeting. And I remember asking my boss, like, okay, so like, you know, who pays? Like, how do you determine who pays for the meal? And he gave me very wise advice. He said, this is how you know. This is, this is who pays. The person with the best shoes on, they pay for lunch. All right, I, I didn't know that was a thing, but I, I guess that's, that's good. So I made sure to wear my old flip-flops, you know, that day. Didn't inspire me to get, you know, nice shoes anytime soon. But, but I learned that that's not common knowledge. <laughs> that's not, you know, not everybody goes by that. And so I've kind of learned over the years another thing, like the person, you know, kind of when you're arranging this, the person who suggests the restaurant, maybe they pay, you know. Eh, it makes some sense. Uh, I know in some cultures it's age or influence, and that works sometimes, but sometimes you're like, well, how old are you, you know? Um, who's more influential? So there's, there's so many weird things, right, that just kind of go into this. Um, I remember my last birthday. Uh, I won't say what number, but it was significant. I'll just say that. It was one of those significant birthdays. Uh, my wife and I, we went out to lunch or dinner with a couple friends. So there's six of us. I picked the restaurant. And I was intending to pay. But one of my good friends, he did that, um, you know, you all you, know what I mean. He excuses himself, says, I'm going to go to the restroom. But you know what he does. Grabs a server, gives a credit card. I'd like to pay for that, you know, all that kind of thing. So the bill came, and I was reaching out to get it. But she gave it to my friend, and my friend said, hey, I, I wanted to pay for this. I took care of it all. And uh, we're, you know, we spent a couple minutes, oh, thank you, you didn't have to do that, I was going to pay, you know, that whole thing. And then he says, was the service good? The service was good, right? I'm like, yeah, the service was great. It's like, we should leave a big tip. I'm like, yeah, we should, we should leave a big tip, you know. And so he writes a tip, and then he hands it to me, he says, you're going to have to sign for this. I'm like, why, why would I sign? And I look, he had my credit card, he stole it. 
he took my wallet early in the night and took my credit card. I'm like, he thinks he was so funny. And that's a good, you could do that. I wouldn't recommend that one unless it's someone really close. But I, I bring that up because, it, you know, why do we, why, why is it so awkward? Right? So many times it's awkward because we don't like being in another person's debt, you know. If someone uh, buys us the meal, you know, then we're like, oh, now, you know, you, you kind of have to figure out, like, now I ha- I'm in their debt. So you can say something like this, hey, next time it's on me. You know, that's, that's nice. Or, or you can kind of try to deal with things right away. Say, like, well, at least let me give a tip. Okay. Or, um, you know, uh, let's split it. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Or if none of that work, you can always do the, well, let's go have dessert. Crumble cookies on me. You know, at least, at least there's some, you know, give and take here. But it's, it's always awkward uh, when it comes to that. We don't like being in people's debt. But I bring all that up is because today we're talking about the gospel, about salvation. And some of us, we take that experience of not being other people's debts and we put it into the salvation story. We put it into the gospel. We do it subtly, right? We know that Jesus paid it all, that he was on the cross, that he paid for our salvation. But there's part of us that want to give into it. We want to just contribute somehow. Like, thank you, Lord, for paying for the entree, but let me at least pay for the tip, right? Let me at least give something. I'll buy dessert. Uh, you do the entree, I'll do appetizers. We, we, we want to work it out somehow that we contribute to the salvation, But as we see in our passage today, that that is not the gospel at all. The gospel is not about you and I giving a tip or uh, contributing in some way. The gospel is about Jesus paid it all. He did it all. It is a gift of his to us. For the next few weeks, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. Today, we're starting a new series in Galatians called Only Jesus. As you look at the book of Galatians and as you read it, hopefully in these next few weeks, uh, you'll see this question that comes right out at the beginning. The question is this, is the gospel enough for salvation or do we need to contribute? somehow? Is there something that we can contribute to our salvation? Here in this book in particular, the question is, is Jesus enough? That's what Paul taught. Or is it what other people taught, that it's Jesus plus something else? Here, this, in this scenario, it's Jesus plus Moses. Some people had come in and said, yeah, Jesus, all that that Jesus did, that's true, but you also need to add to it what Moses talked about, circumcision, the dietary laws, uh, the, the festivals, and those things. That's salvation. So that is what the book of Galatians is about. Paul is addressing this topic, and it all comes together here in Galatians 2, verse 16 where Paul says a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. 
because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul's going to say it very clearly that if you want to know the gospel, the gospel is all about the work of Jesus Christ, the work that he started, that he finished. That's the gospel. And if you want to be justified, if you want to be in a right relationship with God, that it comes only through faith, not by any of your works. So that's what we'll be looking at in the next few weeks. Background of Galatians. Paul is writing this letter. We think that it might be his first letter that he has written to different churches that we have in Scripture. And he's writing it to a group of churches in Galatia. Many times his books are written to one church, like in Corinth or Ephesus. But this one is kind of written to a group of churches. There's a map here that, that kind of shows the area, that big green part right in the middle. That's Galatia. It would be kind of similar to him writing a, a letter to all the churches of Orange County. You know, it's several churches. We don't know how many churches it is, but it's a group of churches he had, been gone, he had gone through this area on his missionary journeys. He had started some church. He had planted some churches, right? And those were growing. He's already visited them once. And then he gets some news about some, some things going on. And that's why he writes this letter. The people were attacking his reputation. They were attacking the gospel. And he's writing this letter to explain some things, to defend himself, and to make it very clear on what the gospel is. So that's what we'll be looking at. But today we want to focus mainly on what Jesus did, on the gospel. The gospel is essential for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to know clearly what it is. If I were to say, hey, we're going to pause the sermon, I want you to turn around to the person in front or behind you, and I want you to take a few minutes to share the gospel with them, what would you say? What would you start with? You know, would this be a, a, a long kind of story, well, from the very beginning to the end, or would you kind of, you know, go right to Jesus? Um, there's no, like, set, you know, here's all the words you need to memorize, um, but it is essential that we as a church, as followers of Christ, that we know clearly what the gospel is. And here's what I would say, too. Many times we, we might be tempted to say, well, it's that we have all sinned and that God loves us and Jesus died for us. Like, we kind of jump right to that, like Romans, you know, chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we go to John three sixteen. but God loves us and he, he, he gave his son for us, right, that we would believe in him. And we kind of just um, section the gospel right there. But um, the gospel is so much more broad than that. So many times we think of the gospel as where we start or where we enter south, you know, the, the kingdom of God, where we become a Christian. But, but the gospel is where we begin and where we end. It's where we live. The gospel is very important for the person who becomes a Christian uh, on day one, but it's, it's just as important for the Christian who's lived 30, 40, 50 years in the faith. The gospel is essential that we hold on to it, that we find our identity, we remember who we are and how much we are loved. So when we look at this gospel today, it's not just the A, B, and C of our faith. It is the A to Z. Okay? 
So today we want to look at that. A few things that we'll, we'll start, we'll go through. But first off, as we hear from Paul, that there is only one gospel. There's only one gospel. So after a, a brief introduction, he gets to the point. And today I'll be kind of skipping around in verses 1 to 9. That's where I'll be at. So if you have your Bibles or your device, have that open. We'll be kind of spending our time in those verses But Paul, as he starts this letter, he's astonished. He's maybe uh, frustrated, maybe even angry that he has to write this letter. Look in verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. He's saying, I'm astonished that you are quickly deserting the one who called you into this gospel. Here are the people, they are taking the gospel, they're adding to it. But yet Paul is saying, but you are deserting Christ. Once you start playing with the gospel, start tweaking, start adding, shaving off a little bit here, adding something there, you have destroyed the gospel. And it's no gospel at all. I'd imagine that when Paul first heard these things that were coming out of these churches, he's like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. They, I taught them. They know it. It was clear. This is the gospel. It's by faith alone. But it was true. They had added to it. He says in verse 7, at the end of verse 7, he says, this is what happened. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. You might call those wolves in sheep's clothing, right? That they are coming in and they're, they're distorting things. They're adding confusion. And he says, this will not be taken lightly. He, he's coming. He's coming with force here. Right? As he continues in verses 8 and 9, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. I've already said it, I'll say it again. If anyone's preaching to you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let him be under God's curse. Strong language. This is not let their hands be slapped. Let them sit in the corner for a time out. This is to be cursed. This is the same language that Paul used uh, in Romans when he said, hey, I would rather be cut off from Christ. I would rather be removed from God's holiness if it meant that all of my kinsmen, all of my family, all of my, my countrymen and women would, would come to know Christ. He's saying, I mean, it's strong language. He says, anybody that comes in and, and messes with the gospel, let him be cursed. Let him be cut off from all that is good and that is holy. So this is strong language. Paul's saying we have to get this right. We cannot have our gospel be distorted. So what is God's gospel? That it, it, it's a, it's, it originates, it begins, and it ends with God. It's his gospel. The story of salvation is not made up by any one person or a group of people. This comes from God. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul says, it says, Paul, an apostle, Sent not from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He says, I am an apostle. I am sent 
from God with a mission. The mission is to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, proclaim it wherever God takes me. I am not sent by men or a man. I'm not sent by even someone as great as Peter, James, and John, or the apostles. I'm not sent by them, and he'll get into that later. He says, I've been sent by Jesus Christ. This is his story that he communicated to me that I'm going to communicate to those who God puts in my life. You guys remember the story of how he came to Christ. In Acts chapter 9, he was out on, with a vengeance to find any Christians and to either kill them or put them in jail. He was ruthless. His name back then was Saul. And he left Jerusalem to go to Damascus to go find some of these Christians and put them in jail. And by the way, Damascus is a long way from Jerusalem. This is not just going, you know, out in the outskirts or whatever. Like, he's on a mission. This is probably his first missionary journey, which is to get Christians and put them in jail. But God stops him. In Acts 9, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Lord. He's like, who who are you? Who's talking to me? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Fascinating story. When he's just riding his horse, he's doing his thing, the light comes, knocks him off his horse, and then Jesus starts talking to him. And he says, well, who are you? Who, Who is this? He says, this is Jesus whom you're persecuting. He says, now I'm going to send you into the city and I'm going to tell you what to do. Notice that Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't say, I got an offer for you. I want you to consider. Um, it's, a, it's a great offer and it's, 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 uh, you, you get to receive you know, my love. Do you want it or not? He, he doesn't say that. He's like, Paul, I'm calling you right now and you're mine. <laughs> and go into the city and I'll tell you what to do. And so he does. And pretty soon there's a man named Ananias that God is speaking to. And my guess is that Ananias was one of the people that Paul was after. Seemed to be a prominent man there. He probably, this was on uh, near the top of Paul's list. But Ananias gets a call from the Lord and he says this, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. This is my chosen instrument to go to take my gospel to the Gentiles. We, as pastors, we sometimes talk about our calling, you know, uh, when were you called into ministry? And um, I believe I was called, but my calling is very subjective. You know, it was a, uh, the church I first started working at and the pastors and families and, you know, kind of people came around and said, we think that you're, you know, you're called by God and they prayed for me and it was a, a wonderful thing. But it's, it's a little subjective. It's not like this. I didn't have uh, lights come down and being blinded and these voices talking. I didn't have that, right? I don't think Daniel had that either. That's, that's like not the norm, but this was back then, and, and, and God talked to Paul that way. And he had a, an interaction with him, and that's why he's able to call himself an apostle. Apostles were people that saw Jesus, that knew Jesus, and that were sent out by Jesus. 
there's probably 13 apostles. The 12 disciples, meaning not Judas, because he hung himself, but they brought in a new disciple to make 12. And Paul, there's 13. We don't have uh, apostles anymore. Uh, I know some faiths use that word, but they maybe use it with a lowercase a. Uh, There's no capital A apostles that have had this kind of experience right now, but they were sent out. They were sent out with a mission to say that this is God-given, it's unchanging, and it's unchangeable. That's the gospel message that he's proclaiming. So, what is the God-given, unchanging, and unchangeable gospel? What is it? Do we understand? Like I said, there's uh, many ways we can talk about the gospel, but you might, um, you might consider this, that this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Not just the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John books in the middle, but the whole thing tells us about what the gospel is. It's all God's story of redemption. Uh, think of it in four chapters, okay? Uh, chapters 1 and 2, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, is creation that God created. He created this, this beautiful word, world for us to experience his beauty so that we could experience this divine community, this divine relationship, All right? So that's how it started. Uh, from Genesis 3 to pretty much like the, the Christmas stories, right, the, the end of the Old Testament, is what we might consider, uh, it's been called often the fall, right, the fall, or it, to use today's language in our sermon, like t- the rescue. It's, it's how do people, now that they've uh, rebelled against God, have they been removed from the Garden of Eden, right? They have said, we're not going to follow your lordship. We're going to try to follow our own, do things our own way. How do they have a relationship with God, right? And so the whole Genesis story, the whole um, Old Testament story is these stories of people trying to get in a right relationship with God. And there's great moments in there, and there's these great whispers of like the Garden of Eden or, or the age to come, right, where God is going to work things out. But we see so much hurt destruction and pain we see the sacrifices how the sacrifices come and and take away the sin but just for a little bit and we realize that as hard as we try we cannot rescue ourselves so then we enter the third chapter redemption right where jesus comes in and from the beginning of uh matthew through the, oh, let's say, Revelation chapter 19, is this time of redemption that we live in right now, that we experience the redemptive work of Christ, the offer of salvation, the, the ability to be forgiven from our sins and to live in the, in the, the, the kingdom of God, to be able to help uh, bless this world, to live the values of the kingdom. Like, that's, uh, that's where we live right now. And then the last chapter, the last section is the last two verses, or the last two uh, chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, where we talk about glorification or the consummation of the, of the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, we talk about heaven and eternity. All of that goes into the gospel story. So it's not just, you know, just that we're sinful and Jesus died for us. I mean, that's huge and the central part of it, but it's the whole story 
of how God has created us for this relationship. We, we, we rebelled against him. We were enemies, and we tried as hard as we can, and we could not get back into a relationship until Jesus came to stand in our place, to be our, our substitute, to die for us, to bring us in this relationship through faith that we live in now. And, and, and we live for him to be a light to the nations, to share our faith until the day that he brings us home. So that's what you might consider if you're looking how you might answer the story of the gospel. One Dutch theologian, Herman Babinick, said it this way, just so short and simple, and you see the members of the Trinity. God the Father has reconciled his created but fallen world through the death of his Son and renews it into a kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful uh, example that, that God is taking this fallen world and redeeming it through Jesus, and it's becoming the kingdom of God through the Holy Spirit. But let's look at how Paul describes it. We'll just take a few minutes and kind of look through Galatians chapter 1, because he, he has a great story of the gospel in here, and it's kind of split up through a few different verses, but let's look and see how he describes it. He says, first, our world is ruined by sin. Look in verse 4. He uses these three words, that we live in an evil present age. The evil present age. In other words, yes, it was created and it was beautiful, but through sin it has become destroyed. And we see this through not only, you know, the, the storms and the hurricanes and the earthquakes, the, the, the trains that derail with hazardous material. We see it all over. We don't think, I don't think we have to be convinced that this world, it's this evil present age. Satan is out and he is out to destroy and he is doing his best work. So we live in this evil age. But God has... He's put this eternity in our hearts. He's put this desire in our hearts that we saw in creation. This shalom, right? This webbing together of God and human and their, for all people to come together for justice, fulfillment, for delight. The world was one of love and goodness, flourishing and abundance, beauty and joy, freedom and responsibility, work and rest. But Satan has come in and he's made this world evil. He says, we live in this evil age. The Jews had two ways of describing this. They would say the present age and the age to come, right? But Paul puts this adjective in there, this evil present age. And so that's how he describes it. Our world is ruined by sin. And then he says, we are helpless and we are lost. We're living in this evil age and we are helpless and lost. Look again at verse 4. It says, we needed someone to rescue us from this evil present age. So we're kind of adding to this, right? That we need someone to rescue us. This is a little different than a lot of world religions that are out there. There's a lot of world religions that are about teaching, but not about rescuing. There's a lot of good teachers. They come and they teach. But Christianity is one where the teacher who did teach, was a good teacher, that's not his primary thing. He came to rescue us because we needed a rescuing. We didn't need a lesson or an example. I mean, can you imagine if you're out on a boat 
I don't know if anybody would be out in a boat today, <laughs> but imagine just being out there and you see someone who's drowning. What are you going to do? They need a rescue. You're going to give them a lesson? You're going to say, hey, eyes on me. Here, here I'm going to teach you how to swim. All right? You're going to take one hand, put it up in, in the air, and then put it down in the water. And then you're going to bring it back. And then you're, at the same time, you're going to put the other one up. You know, and you just keep doing that, and you'll glide. And then you'll glide to, the, to safety. You're not going to do that. That is not the time for a lesson. That's a time for a rescue. You jump in, you throw them a life raft, you do whatever you can to bring them out. And that was our condition. We lived in an evil age in this world. We needed a rescue. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to our rescue. Look at that the same verse, verse 4. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this evil present age. Jesus came in. He gave himself for us on our behalf, in our place. He was our substitute. That's what makes the gospel so, so amazing. Unlike anything else. It's not just like, you know, he, he put in some money to buy us back or whatever. He was our substitute. He jumped in there. He paid the debt. He stood there in our place. We were the ones guilty. We were the ones with blood on our hands. Jesus had no blood on his, but his hands became bloody for us. He was our substitute. He paid it in full. Everything. Tip included. Dessert everything, guys. There's nothing left that you can contribute. Nothing that you can put in or pay for. It's done. It was paid in full. He gave himself for us on our behalf. We have God's love in completion. All of it. Not 90% and we've got to add the 10%. No, all of it. And here's what's interesting, too. Like when you look at other world religions, there's some religions that say you have to empty yourself. You know, just empty all of this and get it all out. And then you'll be right. And others that are saying, no, no, you got to add. Like add all the kinds of good works. Keep doing good works. So at the end of the day, the scale tilts in, in the favor of good works. But that's not the gospel story. The gospel story, it's paid completely. You have all of God's love in you. There is no room in there for a little bit more love, and you're not going to lose any love. You are love completely. There's nothing you can do to add or you can't empty. It's complete. That's what Christ did. What about the Father? The Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Look at verse 1. It talks about him being an apostle, not by man or by man. It says, but God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. That Jesus died as our sacrifice, and God said, but it was good. And I'm not going to leave him there in the grave. I'm going to resurrect him. I'm going to bring him back so he could lead this church, so he could lead his people. The church in Galatia, the church in Orange County, the church here in Anaheim, he's leading us. God said, I accept it. 
and God was pleased to show his love to his people. Look at verse, go back to four. I told you we were skipping around a little bit. But look at verse four. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. According to God's will. This wasn't, uh, Jesus didn't lose a bet, you know. This was part of it. This was the plan. This was always the plan. And Jesus was all in. And it was God's will. He said, this is how I'm going to save people. Right? By none of their good works, we're going to save people through Christ's death and resurrection. And he was pleased to do this. It was his will. Salvation is only by God's will. It's his desire. It's surely by grace, by grace alone, only Jesus. To God be glory forever and ever. It's to his glory. All this is for his glory. But here's the last thing. The rescued are to live differently. The rescued live differently. We live in grace and peace. Look at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We skip by that, but it's significant. All right, it's not, these are not the words from an angry father. It's like, ah, oh, you got me up at night. I, I had to get down here. I spent my money getting you out of trouble. It's not that. This was God's will. It was his plan. He knew it all along. He knew that he was going to save you. All you, all of us who were enemies, who were rebellious and stinky and had rotten attitudes. And he says, you're the one I love. Now grace and peace to you. You live in that love and grace and peace. Now go out and share that. Live these kingdom values of love and joy, peace, patience. We'll get to more of those here uh, later on in this book. But it's a beautiful picture of us who were needing rescue, living in this evil present age and how Jesus came in according to God's will and by his pleasure and his delight, he died for you, for me, and paid it all that we would be free that we would be life givers in a culture of death, that we would be peacemakers in a troubling and violent world. That's the gospel. A lot more to say, and we will get into more of this as we study this book. But it was important for Paul to make it very clear that when you start adding to the gospel, when you add little things here and there, it is no gospel at all. Right? When we say uh, in order to really be loved by God, you have to have a certain version of the Bible, or you have to wear a certain uh, clothing, or you have to pray in a certain way, or if you be baptized in our church, not other churches, but our church only, those are things that we're adding to the gospel. There's so many other things. And we as a church, all churches, we have to be so careful with this because it's subtle. 
we can subtly uh, guide the church into going from like it's salvation by grace alone, but come on, you have to show you're, you're really, you know, you're worth it. You know, you, you got to show that you're all in, you know. I need your commitment, you know, and all that. Uh, those things, yeah, that's great. That's great. Be committed. All right, be at church and all of that. Come give and serve. But guys, we don't serve in order to add to our salvation. We don't do those things to get more of God's love. We do that as a response. I read my scriptures not so that God will love me more today, so that I can love him more. I give my offering not so that God will say, oh, that's good, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by your dedication. No, it's my way. It's, it's a tangible way that I can show God my love. There's not a lot of tangible ways, but that's one that I can do. Just, Lord, I love you and I trust you. All of these things, it's not, we don't do these things to get God's love or to get his favor or his attention. We already have it. But it's our expression of a heart that's been transformed by love. The gospel originates and lives in God's love. And you're a part of that. If you've received Christ, you are a part of that gospel story. And there's nothing we add. There's nothing we give. It's by God's grace alone. And we enter that through faith. That might make some of you uncomfortable. All right? like when someone buys you a big nice meal and you're uncomfortable how do i what do i do i'll buy it next time or whatever it might make us uncomfortable well that's a good place to be because god's grace is so amazing it's not like anything else in this world and we get to spend the rest of our lives and then the rest of eternity marveling in god's great love for us amen